Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. I hope you're doing as well as can be expected during this really stressful time. I know some of you are listening to this later, but we're recording this in April, and uh, yeah, things are a little stressful right now. Um, There's also a lot of changes on the admission landscape. As you likely already know, the June SAT date was canceled, but they are still planning on holding the August SAT As of April 16th, the ACT was still planning to hold their June and July test dates. Um, They said, with the caveat, if allowed within the CDC and the guidelines of local governments. Um, So you may be considering whether or not to register for these tests, given the uncertainty. But I'm actually recommend that people do so, because it looks like if you register for a test, then if it gets canceled, you're going to get priority for any subsequent test dates. So just might make things easier for you down the road. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, they'll give you, uh, you know, a refund. So um, there is also some good news if you aren't sure when you'll be able to take the SAT or ACT and are not a great tester anyway. Uh, more and more colleges are going test optional for the incoming class of fall 2021. Um, so a recent example is Cornell. So we imagine there's going to be more as time goes on. Okay, so we'll focus on our show today. For our second segment, I'll be talking with my colleague, Lauren DiProspero, formerly of Stanford, Columbia, and the University of San Francisco, about the top five things to keep in mind when putting together a college list. Um, This is high fidelity um, college counseling style. Um, For our last segment, our office hours, my colleague Lauren Randall, formerly of Georgetown, and I will be discussing how the process of deferring from college for your works. But first, I'll be talking with Michelle Richardson, finance consultant for College Coach, about the top five, again, top five is really big, top five college cost-saving strategies. So welcome, Michelle. I know a lot of families are particularly stressed about money right now, so I am very glad that you can help. Um, I mean, in fact, it's really one of the largest concerns for many parents and college-bound students, you know, how to reduce costs. So, um, and um, well, the concern has grown considerably in the last month. So today in our quarterly top five series, we're going to discuss these top five ways of reducing the cost of college. So let's start at the top of the list. What's number one, Michelle? You know, when we talk to families, the best way to try and reduce the cost of college is really through the college selection process. And so one of the best ways is to use a college list. And I didn't put that as number one because you're talking about that later with our lovely colleague, Lauren, on the top five things, but really in order for families to maximize merit scholarship opportunities or need-based grants, if they uh, qualify for need-based financial aid, uh, those two items are offered by the colleges themselves. So really using financial fit and choosing a, a no problem school can really help reduce that cost. It also allows for an opportunity for negotiation or asking for a merit award reconsideration. Quite honestly, where we're at today, we're seeing a lot of colleges uncertain uh, with their numbers for the fall. We've seen a lot of success with uh, families going back to the colleges and and asking for higher merit award in order to kind of lock in um, for the the fall class. So that is something that I think is really imperative uh, today. Um, So using a college list can be really helpful and really is the number one way to try and reduce the cost of college. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. All right. So what, um, and then by the way, I mean, I I think everybody should start with a list, even if you're not worried about money, like having that well-balanced list is really important. So we just want to back up what Michelle is saying, you know, start with that list. That list is going to be important. 
All right. So, Michelle, what's number two? Um, the second one is to apply for financial aid, even if the family doesn't think that they may qualify. There are several factors involved and included in calculating a student's financial aid eligibility, including the cost of that college, including the number of children in that family attending college at the same time. So, I speak to a lot of families, and we all do, where they say, you know, I know we're not going to qualify for financial aid. Well, let's dig into that uh, a little bit deeper because oftentimes that may not be the case. And what we're seeing uh, today is families who perhaps didn't think they may qualify for financial aid, uh, if they are running into different financial circumstances, um, if they apply early on, the school and the family are already a step ahead if they need to uh, ask for reconsideration and have things evaluated. So I would really uh, encourage families to uh, apply for uh, financial aid. Um, with people today being furloughed and, and being laid off, and we're hearing of a lot of entities reducing salaries, um, families having increased medical expenses, those are all items that a family can go back to the college and talk to the financial aid office and ask for an appeal. And so this is not only really relevant today, because this, again, is something that we are talking with families on a daily basis um, about, unfortunately, but um, really families should look at, at applying for financial aid and not assuming that they may not qualify. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that's important to note. And I will say I've had I've had families who never indicated an interest before now kind of raising their hands saying, should we apply? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you think maybe, then the answer is definitely yes. So, right. Um, right. All right. What about number three? What about the cost of the college? Um, people really want to prepare, you know, for anything big in life, we're always told to prepare. And this begins with starting to save for college and to try and start early. Um, one thing we always talk to families about is it's okay to start small. I know when I was in my 30s uh, and had two children and was preparing to pay for college, um, I had to start small. And then as my salary increased, then I was able to look at increasing what I was putting um, away for, for their college. And part of that preparation to prepare for the cost uh, may include looking at tax-advantaged education savings plans where families might qualify for federal and state tax incentives. Um, one thing that I realized myself um, is once the children get older, you find that your household budget may shift. So families with young children, it can be hard for them to start to even think about saving for college because maybe they're, you know, basically paying a lot for childcare expenses, especially if, you know, maybe they're dual um, income families. But maybe once the student gets into elementary school and maybe they're only paying for after child care, they can reallocate those dollars and, and put it towards saving for college. Um, and I think when we speak to any parents of, of high school uh, children, uh, they are not uh, inexpensive in any way, um, you know, with all of the activities and tutoring. And um, <laughs> my son played football, so I, I was feeding a football team every week. And, you know, but sitting down and, and looking at reallocating what I wasn't paying for both of my kids when they weren't home to help them uh, reallocate that and, and put that towards uh, preparing and, and saving for college. So I always say, you know, think of college, saving for college as a, as a marathon and not a race. And, um, you know, crowdsource and ask your friends and families to, to help. I'm going to be helping with my nephew. 
Good for you. Oh, That's I'm awesome. part of the crowd <laughs> for him. Excellent. Yeah. All right. And uh, so, <laughs> well, I don't have my own kids, um, so I'm, I'm really happy to help. So um, so what's what's next? What's number four, Michelle? Um, this one, most families probably assume, but to apply for scholarships, um, both at the college level and with outside entities. Um, most often we see with colleges in awarding their merit scholarships that their college application process might be the only uh, items used to be considered for merit scholarships, but uh, there are some colleges that require families apply for financial aid, or there might be separate scholarship uh, applications or auditions that need to be held or priority deadlines in order to be considered for those college scholarships. So um, from a merit scholarship perspective, you know, they'll want to check with each institution. And then in looking at outside scholarships, uh, think about where the family has networks and affiliations, um, where the family does business. Oftentimes, parents might belong to professional associations or community service groups, and they might um, offer uh, scholarships. And the high school guidance office is a great resource for local scholarships for uh, graduating seniors. And there are um, a lot of national scholarship databases that um, we are asked about um, a lot. Not all of them are, are reputable. So um, people should be um, aware of that. Never pay for free money. So mm -hmm. don't pay anybody to that promises that they're going to find scholarships or uh, pay for uh, part of your uh, student's education. But applying for scholarships um, is another way to try and reduce that overall cost. Mm -hmm. All right. And what, I mean, I think that um, people are somewhat aware of all of those. Is there anything just really surprising out of the box that that might uh, that that maybe no one's thought of. <laughs> well, obviously not no one, but that you can advise them as a long-term expert in this field. Well, you know, with with outside and in private scholarships, especially at the national level, those are are very competitive. But people really need to look at. Um, scholarships, there are scholarships out there for everybody and everything. So, um, you know, there's a scholarship for eating ice cream or being part of a American flag commercial. And, you know, so uh, think about that from, from a scholarship perspective. Okay. All right. And what about number five? Let's move. Yep. Um, finally. Uh, On to the, the ultimate, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. So think outside the box. So when families are trying to reduce the cost of, of college, they might want to consider taking advantage of low interest rate federal loans. Um, though the federal direct loan program is one of those entitlement loan programs that basically if students don't use it, they lose it for each academic year they're in college. And it's projected that this upcoming academic year, the federal direct loan is going to be at an historic uh, low rate. So think about that. Uh, students might want to and, and parents consider having their student have an on-campus job, um, a summer job to help uh, pay for college uh, consider being a resident assistant or an RA on campus. You know, they get free room and board. And sometimes that's one of the most expensive components when it comes to uh, paying for college. And um, also look at less expensive uh, room and board options. Um, again, on a, on a personal note, I, I know when my two kids went to college, I paid for more meals than I know that they ate. So you don't have to get the biggest meal plan. And uh, I uh, made sure I was probably the mean mom. I made them live in the, in the dormitory, the, the two bedroom, you know, two bed, two desk, one room, no air conditioning. Um, it was a good way for them to kind of um, uh, let's see. 
uh, like when they got home and, and appreciate perhaps what they had uh, when they were at home, but it was definitely a less expensive option. Okay. <laughs> All right. That sounds great. That's been ho- so helpful. So thank you, Michelle. Hey, you're very welcome, okay. Sally. All right. Now we'll be taking a short break, but when we return, I'll be talking to Lauren D. Prospero about putting together your college list. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. As I mentioned before our break, uh, we'll now be talking to Lauren DiProspero about your college list. Welcome, Lauren. Hi, Sally. I'm excited to be here. So glad you're here. So we're on a top five theme today. So let's talk about the top five things to keep in mind while you're building a college list. And I I don't expect you to do it in any particular order. Although if you want to emphasize that you think one is more important than another, that's fine. But so let's start, let's start at the top. What, uh, what do you, what do you, what, what, what do you suggest? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the first thing to really be considering is why college? right, to take a step back. I know that students are really eager to (laughs) move forward in this process, establish that list and kind of get ready. But I think it's good to take that step back and think about what is the point of the college experience for you and for your family, right? What do you value as a family? Thinking about what is your vision for college? Is it that you're going to get credit hours and a degree or is it that 24-hour comprehensive lived experience And I think that you have to um, think about what that experience is going to best serve your interests and your needs. And I think talking about that as a family is is pretty important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think um, like I know there's a lot of students who want to get straight into like a Northeastern or a Drexel is going to be ideal for them where there's a co-op program. They want to get hands on as soon as possible. They're not they're smart kids for sure. No question about it, but not so interested in the kind of intellectual pie in the sky ideas about existence and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wanted a full on nerdy experience. And so it was like really, you know, so a small nerdy college called Reed in the Pacific Northwest was perfect for me. But I think establishing those things is so important from the outset. I mean, a student who's a good fit for Reed might not be a good fit for Northeastern and right. very much the reverse. So I'm really yeah. glad you're highlighting that. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think making it known with the people who are going to help you make that decision is even more important because you might not be on the same page. <laughs> they right. might not realize what you want out of your college experience. So I think, you know, taking it from that point of view is who's going to be supporting you and helping you make these decisions and making sure they know what you want mm-hmm. out of this process. Yeah. And, and don't assume that every college is going to be kind of the same. It's really understandable. I think that students do that. 
um, you know, and that's, I think, a lot of why students are like, I want to go to the city, like Boston, NYU, and, you know, New York City, and uh, I don't really need to think about the rest of it because it's all the same. And it's like, but it, it, it actually isn't. There's a lot of schools with a lot of commonalities, but try and establish for yourself, where are you going to thrive? And, uh, and then go from there, start with that particular thing. So. Yeah. And I think that leads really well into number two, which is identify priorities and deal breakers, right? Mm-hmm. You can identify three to five of each or whatever your magic number is. It could be two, it could be 10, who knows? Um, and again, make sure everybody is on the same page about what that is and help that drive your research. But I know, Sally, that we are sort of of two minds about this one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why don't you talk about your approach first, and then I'll talk about how so some of my thinking and where I might differ a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So because I went to a small college, and I think some of this is rooted in my personal trauma. Obviously, that's a complete exaggeration. <laughs> but my brother went to UC Berkeley. I turned Berkeley down for for Reed College and I got so much flack for it. Like, how could you do that, et cetera, that I have like a fierce loyalty to small liberal arts colleges and I'm constantly defending them and 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 I, I want everybody to at least look at them. So mm-hmm. I mean I think that feeds it a little bit, but I will also say that I still think it's a good idea for every student to look at large and small. Like I think similar to students, students are understandably thinking about College equals fun. How can I have fun in college? If I go to a big school with football games, et cetera, I'm going to have a blast. And then I kind of like to counter with, okay, but what's your best learning style? Like what's, you know, what are some of the other things you might want to think about? And so I always really strongly recommend that students, no matter, even if you think that what you want is a huge rah-rah school, visit that smaller college mm-hmm. too, to just make sure. And I will say that I think, though I think most students end up sticking with what they think they want, I have sent, had students who refused to listen to me at the outset come back to me in March and say, I only applied to one small college and now I only want small colleges <laughs> and I don't know if I'm going to get into that one small college. So yeah. just letting you know, it does happen that I am yes. correct. <laughs> yes, <laughs> certainly. And I do believe in that approach and it's something that I do counsel students to to take a look because I also think that a lot of students maybe don't have that experience with the different types of colleges or maybe even don't feel strongly one way or another. Maybe they haven't thought through what it might feel like to be on that small campus, right? That could be amazing and warm invite or could feel stifling or that big lecture hall that could feel exhilarating or terrifying, right? Um, And, you know, I hope that, you know, students will be able to get to different types of campuses you know, in the fall or the spring to be able to really assess that. But I will have to counter with the fact that I am married to someone who went to Penn State. (laughs) (laughs) And if you know in your heart that you want that rah-rah campus with big football, right, you're probably not going to be excited about a small college. So I still see the value in getting students into different uh, types of campuses, But, you know, I also knew that I didn't want big football. And I knew that I definitely didn't want a Greek life for my college experience. And I think that sometimes you just know. And so, you know, like I said, a lot of students don't know. Some think they know, and I still think it's a good idea. But sometimes you just really know and you want to go with your gut. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I think if you told any of my husband's classmates, like, hey, go look at a small school, they would have looked at you funny because they were going to go to Penn State. That's, you know, their rah-rah point in life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I think the good news about students like that is they're not going to listen to me anyway. But for anyone who has any, (laughs) um, for anybody who has any like unsurety um, or lack of certainty about it, I mean, what I tell students is just test your hypothesis, right? Mm -hmm. Like this works really well for the scientist students. Like your hypothesis is that you want a large university, that that's going to give you, that's going to be the best match for you. And that that school spirit, rah, rah, Um, as opposed to smaller, more intimate community, that that is your deal breaker. But Mm -hmm. test it by going and actually visiting and talking to a few people. And, uh, you know, and then that way, if you have a younger brother or sister who's different from you, you can be more supportive of them. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) So that might be good, too. But yeah, Yeah. so um, what are some other, I mean, we've talked about like big or small. Are there any other, um, like just maybe a couple more that people might want to think about? Yeah, I mean, I think um, a really important one is affordability, 
you mm-hmm. know, speaking openly as a family about what you can afford and be ready to talk about how that might have changed in the last few weeks or might change in the coming months. Um, you know, to talk about the role of scholarships, both merit and outside scholarships, right? And realizing that, you know, a lot of those schools would be the ones from your no problem or safety list because you're above the average, um, you know, applicant. Um, and really looking at, you know, whether or not graduate school might be in your future, right? Maybe choosing a less expensive undergraduate might help you later on if you're hoping for a graduate degree. So I think that that's a huge part of it, that sometimes in the excitement of what does the campus look like? You know, what states Mm -hmm. could I go to? You know, all of those sort of really fun stuff that sometimes those conversations around affordability and how to pay for college sometimes get missed, Mm -hmm. which I know is a little bit more financial aid, but I think is really important to hammer home even sort of on Mm -hmm. the admission side of this. Well, and this is great because we're really reinforcing what Michelle said, which is to look, you know, in the finance segment before this one, which is to look at the list and use the list to think about affordability. And like I just this morning talked to a, gen, a young man who, um, you know, had identified his school. He was pretty sure that was the only one he wanted. And I said, look, I know that money is important to you and your family. So I do recommend looking at at least a few others just in case the money doesn't yeah. come through the way you're hoping it will. So those yeah. factors need to be considered as well. And it doesn't mean it won't. You know, I was right. telling him, go for it. Apply to that college. Like, it may well work out, but you just don't know for sure until you get that financial aid package in hand or that merit yeah. scholarship in hand. So, exactly. Yeah. all right. So what's, uh, what's another one to think about? Yeah. I think deciding on how many college applications you want to apply to and stick to that number. Right. We, we very strongly recommend no more than 10 mm-hmm. um, for a couple of reasons. Right. We believe that you truly can't love a large number of schools. Right. And you really have to love every school on your list. Um, one of our colleagues likes to say you have to feel proud to put on that sweatshirt at the end of this mm-hmm. process, no matter where you decide to go or if it is your only option. Right. Um, and I think that another important part of this is how much work are you going to have to do for these schools? Right. If you apply to 10 schools and let's say each of them has two supplementals each, that's 20 essays. Right. And that could be more or less depending upon the colleges you decide to apply to. And that's your, you know, August through December is doing those essays. Mm -hmm. The more you have, the harder it is. I've definitely worked with students who've had 55 essays to write. And that's just on top of everything else they're doing. And so I think thinking through the work, the expense of applying to college and all of that deciding what that number is and really holding true to it unless you really find that like one school that you love that you're like, okay, I'm going to break the rule for because I didn't know they existed until October 1st, mm-hmm. but really trying to stay to that number that you've decided mm-hmm. on. Yeah, I will say, I think like what I hear a lot is, well, if I apply to all the Ivies, I have to get into one of them. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's not how it works, yeah. right? Like they all, yeah. their admit rate, it's not like 10% admit rates add up to 100%. You'll get into one. Right. Um, I don't know statistics well enough to explain it, but I can promise you that yeah. if that worked, the Ivies would actually all have to be the size of Penn State. And then yeah. let's face it, it probably still wouldn't work. So, right. exactly. um, so yeah, decide it, stick to it, do a good job with the colleges that, you have decided that you really care about and um, you're going to get into a great school because the United States has such a wealth of amazing colleges. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Great. All right. Yeah. So we finished one through four. So what's yeah. number five? Well, you kind of led into this one. Well, again, right. I think it's all about balance, right? Mm-hmm. So no matter how many colleges you choose to apply to, remember to spread that out over those challenging or reach schools, the just right and the no problem schools. Right. Think two to three in each category, kind of balancing um, across all categories. And, you know, if merit scholarship and money is of concern, right, maybe those just right and no problem schools, putting a few more in there and and tipping the balance that way a little bit. Because I think that the choices that you make in the fall really determine the type of spring you're going to have. You know, some students think that they're really comfortable with risking a challenging heavy list right? Maybe they do apply to all IVs or IV plus and then their state school, right? But that doesn't always turn out the way they had hoped. That's happened to some of my students. I've counseled them against it, but they make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, it it really affects the type of spring that they have, right? A lot of denies can feel very personal, you know, especially when they come in all at once. 
And having a lot of yeses can help buffer that disappointment mm-hmm. um, if that is the case. I mean, hopefully everybody gets into every school they apply to, but we know that that's not the reality. So some of this is making sure that you're preparing for those, those situations and balancing so that you're feeling really good at the end of this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say when students want to just apply to a ton of the highly selective colleges, I do always make sure to have a really honest conversation with them about how it's going to feel if they end up with one admit and a bunch of denies mm-hmm. um, because it's they're opening themselves up to that possibility. It's not a given that it's going to happen. It certainly may pay off for them, but it's a possibility. And some students, that's crushing. Other students are totally fine. They're like, why not? It's like it's like a Hail Mary pass in a football game. If you get it, you're awesome. If you don't, you know, you can move past that. Nobody expects you to get it. So, um, yeah. but I think like thinking carefully about it is good. And the other thing too that I want to stress about balance when you apply to just that one safety and that, you know, like a ton of the really big reach schools or challenging schools, the, the schools in the middle are such a wealth, provide such a wealth of opportunities. Yes. You know, like there's there there those are where you'll find a bunch of schools that have just about everything that you want. You can be so excited once you're there. Yeah. Um, you know, so invest yourself in those two. I actually think that's the richest category because you've got a really good shot at getting in. Um, but it also really they probably have everything that you want and everything that you need, or at least almost everything that you want, and definitely everything that you need. Yeah. And I think sometimes they might even have everything that you need. You just might be blinded by a name (laughs) that you think has what you need, but isn't, you know, might actually, if you're honest with yourself, miss some of those boxes. And I think that those just rights are good for so many reasons that you just articulated, right? It's not just, ooh, am I going to have choices? Ooh, is this going to be that, um, you know, where I might get a small merit scholarship? They can be really, really good fits for students um, in so many ways. You know, challenging doesn't mean best, and no problem doesn't mean that they're bad schools. Exactly. So kind of taking that out of that can really help open you up to balancing that list and helping you have that really great spring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. We're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we'll be talking to another Lauren, Lauren Randall, about the process of deferring your start to college. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's dive right in to deferrals. This is... Um, normally something I feel completely comfortable talking about because I deferred um, between high school and college. I took a gap year. It was very straightforward for me. So we should obviously go through kind of in general how it works, but we we should also acknowledge that things are really different because of the coronavirus and how that's impacting colleges and universities. So um, 
So I don't know. Let's let's dig in. Let's first start about like let's talk about what deferral is and how people might think about it. Sure. Well, I, I completely agree with you that typically uh, in years past when I've had these conversations with students, it's a really exciting conversation to have. Do students come at it because they want to have this time to explore, or do something different or you know, take a break from school before diving into college? I find that the conversations we're having now is not so much about, I'm so excited to take the year off. They're kind of thinking, well, Maybe I have to, or I should, or um, I don't want to do online courses, or can we afford it? Just the conversation has really changed. So I agree with you that this is stressful, um, and it's uh, and colleges are in the same boat as students. Mm-hmm. I think that they don't really know what to expect. But what is a deferral? Um, so if you have been admitted to a college... You have submitted your deposit to hold your place at that college, but you're saying that you are going to postpone starting. That might be for a semester. It might be for a full year, um, but you are asking to hold your spot um, for for a particular reason. That's a deferral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the different reasons why historically um, students might have decided to defer? Typically, it's to to do a gap year. It's to do something different, to say, you know, I want some life experience um, or maybe I'm a little bit tired of the grind of high school. And before I dive into such a tough academic setting, I want to travel. I want to volunteer. I want to improve some kind of skill that I have. Um, I want to grow in some kind of way um, before I start college. Uh, So it's a time of growth and learning. Um, other reasons uh, we've seen it could be military uh, in certain countries. There's um, a military requirement. Um, so that's been a conversation for some uh, students. Um, could be medical reasons. Um, but typically it's a, a time of growth and the, the student comes from it, uh, comes to this decision organically. They say, you know, I really want this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, personally, I wanted to take a year when I didn't have to worry about my grades. I actually did a postgraduate year in uh, French-speaking Belgium, but my grades didn't matter. I was already into college, so I just really focused on learning French and learning the history of the country and, you know, kind of embedding myself in a culture that was sort of remarkably different from my own. Um, I mean, it, Europe seems like it should be the same, but I grew up in L.A. I was the daughter of a single mother went to Belgium. I was one of seven kids there, <laughs> you know, like, or in a family of seven kids, I should say, very traditional household, so small then you were town. Ready, then you were ready to live in a dorm if you lived with seven other people. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Like, I actually had more privacy in my dorm than I did, sure. than I did, you know, I had to share a room with one of the sisters, you know, right. like, so, um, so yeah, exactly. And just, you know, just kind of knowing that I had to completely adapt meant adapting to college was easy peasy, actually. (laughs) So, um, so I think, um, yeah, I just think there's a lot of great reasons to do it. But of course, some of those have gone away, too. I mean, like, I don't know that any parent is really thinking realistically that they're going to be able to send their kid overseas next year, for example, for the Absolutely. And a lot of those um, more traditional gap year plans or even programs, because there are companies out there that you can partner with uh, to form a gap year, they're changing their um, their practices. So that might not be possible. So I think that that's you know, a really big piece of advice for students that are even thinking about uh, to defer for a gap year is to say, you know, you need to have a very clear plan in place. And I would encourage a student to have several plans in place at this point and say, you know, if, if, is it something that you could do now, if that's, that should be one of your plans, because we don't know what the, if you're going to be able to travel, we don't know, um, you know, what you're going to, so if you can do it from home or in your community now, that might be something uh, that you could continue on for the year. That might be one of your contingency plans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, travel is one option, but I mean, I've also seen students do conservation work. A lot of that is the kind of thing you can do while social distancing. So that might be very, very possible to still do, you know, whatever your particular passion is, maybe you want to take time off to, you know, develop an app or you have a business you're getting off the ground. I mean, all of these kinds of things you know, I want to be clear that colleges, at least historically, have been very, very willing, at least every college that I worked at, um, 
you know, read um, University of Chicago. Um, I, I didn't, I don't remember a deferral from Whittier, but I would imagine Whittier was open to deferral. We all said yes, as long as students had a good plan. And we, we did make students reapply for financial aid in case the finance situation had changed, but basically there was not going to be any sort of negative or downside to it. And we basically just said, yes, as long as you weren't saying, I want to stay home and play video games. Like that's not a good reason. So. Right. And I think that that's uh, traditionally how it worked. Uh, Students would submit their deposit uh, to that one institution, say, this is hold my place. And then they would uh, make the request directly to the admissions office with a detailed plan for how they're going to spend that year. And I would say colleges are traditionally, have traditionally been accommodating if they can be. Um, I don't know that that's going to be the case. I think that colleges are going to, first of all, I, I don't, we haven't seen too many policies, new policies come out. Some colleges have announced already, but I think that they're really waiting until, uh, you know, the ne- next month is going to be really important to see how deposits have uh, played out for schools for them to decide whether or not they can um, grant a small number of deferrals, a lot of deferrals, a semester deferral, a year deferral. All of those questions, um, you know, will, will play out in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think students, like you said, they need to have multiple plans. And I think they also need to realize that they might need to just reapply. Like if a student is really wedded to taking a gap year, um, to, to deferring for a year, they might need to, they might really just need to be ready to be told no um, and just decide to apply again. Um, and see what happens. Exactly. I've been talking with some students who, you know, we, we're, we're uh, just coming brainstorming together. And they said, well, if classes are online for the first semester, I'm just going to defer and start in January. I said, well, hold on a second. That you might not be allowed to do that. That's really up to the college. So understanding those policies is really important um, because you might not be allowed to do it. And then you've lost your place, uh, or that just means you're going to reapply the following year. And some students say, well, I don't want to rewrite my essays. I don't want to submit all those applications again. It was a lot of work. Um, so it's something to really, to really think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the upside for students might be that, well, l- let me also say that I think things are going to be different for full pay students versus students who need considerable aid, right? Because some colleges, even if they let you defer, they're not going to let you keep your merit scholarship, right? That's they might say, okay, we'll, we'll keep your place. But, but a student, on the other hand, who's full pay, colleges might be more flexible with them. And, and they also might be um, at an advantage if they apply a year from now you know, when colleges are kind of really concerned about these things? That could be. I definitely think it depends on the college and their financial situation. Um, But I think that's a really important point that if a student is going to ask for a deferral and they are receiving a merit-based scholarship, they need to ask, does that transfer it? Will that carry over? Um, that's, That's a really important question to ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is all kind of interesting because there are some students that honestly, I would advise take a gap year for, um, you know, I, I was thinking that they should take a gap year for a whole variety of reasons. Like I'm working with two students right now who are in that category. And now I'm kind of wondering if they'll be able to, mm-hmm. because luckily for those students in both those situations, finances are not a concern, like things should work out there. The savings is there. It hasn't collapsed. It's, you know, um, but now I'm kind of thinking, well, so what is this going to mean for them? Uh, I think that, I think the timing of it is also uh, a, a tough one to figure out. My gut says student, if a student knows today, this is where I want to go to college, but I want to wait. I, I want to defer. I think putting in that request sooner rather than later, they probably have more leverage today than mm-hmm. down down the road as, as colleges um, w- make more formalized uh, policy changes. So I think sooner rather than later. However, just uh, rushing into that decision saying, well, I'm going to, I'm going to submit that request uh, just to hold my spot. And then if I change my mind, you know, that could put you in a really sticky situation because as soon as you say you are deferring, you are deferring. They've now given your 
your space, your place um, to someone else on the waiting list. So, you know, don't, uh, I, I, it's hard. You know, I'd say if you know for sure you want to defer, make that request sooner than later, but don't jump into it if you're still trying to figure it out because you are, the colleges are going to give your spot to somebody else. Right, right, exactly. Um, I think that we also need to be really clear about colleges policies. I mean, it's, it's been kind of interesting to me. You need to understand the sort of commitment that a college feels that you're making if you defer. I mean, some colleges are going to view that like an early decision commitment that you are say you're, if you're deferring, you're definitely saying you're going. And then other colleges historically have been more relaxed about it. Like, you know, like just kind of, they might get back in touch with you in March or, kind of February and say, hey, are you still planning on coming? If not, we're going to give your spot to someone else. So, you, you know, that's when the commitment occurs. But I don't, I don't know that colleges are going to be able to afford to be so flexible this time at this point. They, they may not be. Um, and I think on, uh, to go along with that point of students, um, of, of what kind of commitment that means, I've talked to a lot of students that say, well, you know, especially with the financials, the economy, you know, maybe I'll, I'll hold my spot, but I'm going to take community college classes this year. Um, that's something that you really need to make sure that you know the college's policy around that. Because if you have deferred and held your spot at that school, and then you enroll in community college, that you could then be have to reapply as a transfer student. Colleges will have very clear policies around, can you take one course, a few courses, or no courses at all elsewhere? Um, and I, I think that that might really come into play too with the current financial situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Anything else that students should be aware of or should we summarize um, kind of all the things to think about? Well, I think, you know, the main point here is that there's still some unknowns of, of how this is all going to shake out, uh, turn out um, for students. I understand that it's stressful, but colleges are in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important um, piece here is to be proactive. Um, start doing your research. If you have not deposited a college, college yet, you're debating between a couple, and this might change what you decide, you need to be contacting those colleges. Ask directly. Say, you know, what happens uh, if I want to defer a semester for a year? Um, What are your policies right now and how might that change? So I think being really direct and proactive um, with your colleges now is the time to do that. Mm -hmm. And I I do want to say that for the student for whom deferring is the right thing to do, I would still encourage them to do it. They just need to know that they're heading into something that's, it's a risk to do it in some ways. Things are less certain than they used to be, but it's not such a risk that you're not going to get into a good college because you might just need to apply again, but colleges are still going to need students. So so like, don't, don't sort of not do it because you want everything sewn up into a tight like a tidy little bow, if it's still absolutely the right thing for you to do. I mean, that's that's kind of what I would say. Completely agree with that point. And the only other thing I would say is, uh, on the flip side, if you are bored now at home, the thought if, if you think you know that, <laughs> that adding on a whole another year is going to be easy, it might not be. So, right. <laughs> so yeah. don't jump into that boat uh, <laughs> uh, prematurely either. Right. Yeah. Cause that's true. Cause your gap year, if you're a senior right now, your gap year will probably be at home. Your gap year is probably not going to be in Europe. So, or wherever else you might've been thinking about going. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sally. And good luck to all those seniors uh, trying to make these decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I want to um, I want to actually talk really quickly about Bennington College. I like I like it when I have time to do school spotlights. And so Bennington is a really small college up in Vermont. Um, it's got op- the grades are optional. There's no predetermined majors. You can really develop your own major. Um which at Bennington College is completely the norm. It's not an exception. Um, It's also known for phenomenal programs in writing and the arts. It's just really, it's a liberal arts college, but it is not what anyone would call a traditional liberal arts college. Um, It's just over 700 undergraduates spread out among 440 acres in southwestern Vermont. The dorms are called houses. Students become part of a family community gathering each Sunday. 
Um, and majors at Bennington are called areas of interest. All students work closely with a team of faculty advisors to chart their own unique academic journeys, better known as plans. Um, and they also help ground students' work in a practical hands-on way, requiring that all students participate in an annual fieldwork term, which spans seven weeks each winter. Um, and it really affords students the opportunity to leave campus in order to pursue jobs, internships, um, or both domestically and abroad. And by the way, fun fact, if you're a creative person, um, it really has graduated a remarkable number of very creative um, people who are quite well regarded and well known. Um, one example is the author of The Goldfinch, uh, which won the 2014 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, written by Bennington alumna Donna Tart, And then also Peter Dinklage, famous for his role as Tyrion in Game of Thrones, is also an alum uh, 1991. So they attract some pretty great students. Um, all right. So also I want to let you know, get ready for our show on May 5th when our regular host, Elizabeth Heaton, will be answering listener questions and talking about what to do now if you've chosen a college. If you want more information about how to handle the admission process in the time of COVID-19, please check out our show for March 26th. Our host, Ian, and a high school senior discussed how she is making our, um, her final decisions to, um, on which college, even though she can't visit again. So there was a lot of good information there. Um, and if you, we've also written, by the way, a lot of blogs about what to do now in COVID-19. You can go to our webpage, blog.getintocollege.com. That's blog.getintocollege.com. Um, also, the blog is really helpful if you want to search for a particular getting in show topic. Um, there's no search on the Voice America website, but you can search for the blog, find out the date that way, and, uh, and then go and listen to our shows again. And last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. So check us out. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.